chapter 4. Oh, there's my counter. Okay, now let's ca- start counting down. Nehemiah chapter 4. I want to talk to you about something today that we talk about quite frequently here at Hope City Church. But the Lord has freed me from the fear of repetition. And that's okay. Uh, I've told you this many times before that we had, um, let's call her a spiritual grandma in my life. The lady that my parents got saved and served under. She came to our church one time and she was talking about people and church and just how people are in general. And she made this statement and she said that people leak. People leak. Meaning that you can say something and we can talk about something in church But when we all go our separate ways, we go on with our lives, and we get busy doing all those things we do, we leak sometimes the things that we've been putting inside of us. We're like, sometimes we're like a a canister with holes in it, and things come out of us. And so it's important to talk about some foundational truths over and over again so that they're consistently inside of us. Amen? And so you can sit there and roll your eyes all you want, but today we're going to talk about some stuff that we need to talk about. So in Nehemiah chapter 4, I'm going to read through the big chunk of this passage of scripture, and then I'm going to come back and make some points out of it. We just had Canada Day recently, right? Today's the ninth, so eight days ago, nine days ago, however you want to count it. And I was thinking about, on Canada Day, I was thinking about our national anthem. Everybody knows our national anthem, correct? Three people nodded their head. (laughs) The rest of you are like, I think I, I think I do. Our national anthem ends with the phrase, with, with the crescendo, O Canada, we stand on guard for thee. And I was thinking about that phrase on Canada Day, actually, and I was, I was going to say something somewhere. I think I sent out a message the day before, or maybe the day before, on Canada Day, I sent it out reminding everybody about our church picnic at only one service. And I was going to say something in there about standing on guard for our nation, but I, as I was sitting there contemplating it, I had this thought that struck me for the first time, and it was, I don't think a lot of us really do stand on guard for our nation. And that's because I don't think, by and large, a lot of us really do stand on guard for much. Nobody in this room, don't worry, I'm not talking about any of you. I'm talking about people at other churches. I know all of us are great at standing on guard. And I was thinking about it, I, I don't think a lot of us stand on guard the way that God designed us to, the way that God would like us to, we might stand on guard for a minute or two, and then we move on to something else. And so I came across this this story in the book of Nehemiah. I've been studying the book of Nehemiah, and I want to share it with you because in this story is a very good picture of what standing on guard really does look like and, and what God desires when we stand on guard for something what it looks like. Here's a case in point about standing on guard. We were driving to church this morning, and Jen was looking on Instagram, and she came across a post from a very credible minister in the States, and he posted some news that had come across his desk somehow, and he said that they've discovered that the average age, the average age of somebody who... who first sends their naked selfies. Naked selfie is a naked picture of yourself. In case you're like, well, what's a naked selfie? You ready for this? Seven years old. It's in North America. Seven years old is the average age 
of somebody sending naked pictures of themselves to somebody else. How, how do we get to that place? How, how do we live in a day and an age where somebody who's just over the ages of a toddler is sending naked pictures of myself to somebody else. We get to that place by not standing on guard. Yeah, so parents, stand on guard for your families. Stand on guard for your kids. Parents, do not give your kids the benefit of the doubt. Uh, Josiah and a group of other people oversee our youth ministry here. And Josiah has found this podcast that, that he loves to listen to. And it's basically just a podcast about things that have happened in other people's youth ministries. And so you can send in your, your stories. Be like, this one time I was leading a youth group and this happened. Or we played this game and this happened. It's pretty funny by and large. But let me tell you this one story that, that they came across. One day, this lady, and this is all just to illustrate parents, pay attention to your kids. One, la- one day, this lady came to the youth pastor and said, I want you to pray for my kid. We think he's spending too much time in his Bible app. And, and the youth pastor was like, well, what's, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with, that's a good thing. Why do you want me to pray for your kid spending too much time in the Bible app? He should be spending time in his Bible app. She's like, no, he's spending like eight hours a day in the Bible app. And we don't, we think there's more going on. We think it's weird. He doesn't, you know, we're not seeing changes in his behavior. His behavior is actually getting worse. Anyways, the lady went and they did some digging and discovery. And what they actually found was this guy had found a way inside of the Bible app. The Bible app. Everybody say the Bible app. This kid had found a way with his girlfriend to send naked pictures back and forth inside the Bible app. So yes, this kid needed some help. It's very creative. It's ingenious. But you need to stand on guard. We need to stand on guard. Do not give the benefit of the doubt. It's okay to, listen, this is for somebody. It's okay to be a parent and check in on your kids. It's, it's not just okay, it's required. You are a steward of those children, and when you get to heaven, you're going to have to give an account of how you raise those kids and steward them. They are the Lord's children, and you are watching out for them, for him. You are helping raise. So please, if you've got small kids, if you've got children, if you've got teenagers, be a parent and raise your children. Be involved in their lives. Stand on guard for them. That was all for free. It has nothing to do with what we're going to look at in Nehemiah chapter 4, other than the topic of standing on guard. So Nehemiah chapter 4, let's look at this together, and let's, let's jump into this. This is a very good example of what standing on guard should actually look like. Today, the title of the message is In Your Hand and In Your Heart. Chapter 4, verse 1, some backstory. The children of Israel, if you know your Bible at all, the children of Israel continued to sin. They continued to turn your, their backs on God. And so finally, they were conquered by King Nebuchadnezzar. Everybody knows Nebuchadnezzar? We all know Nebuchadnezzar. They were conquered by Nebuchadnezzar. He took them all captive, and they all got spread out. They all got kicked out of Jerusalem. They all got sent to other nations, and they were living in captivity. Time goes by, and people are allowed to return back to Jerusalem, the city of David. This is their city. They're allowed to slowly return back. 
Nehemiah is working for King Artaxerxes, and he is the cupbearer. He's the one, it's his job to make sure that all the food and all the wine isn't poisoned. And so they bring in food, they bring in wine. It's Nehemiah is the one who gets to taste it and test it. If Nehemiah doesn't die, then the king gets to eat it. Great job. Great job. If you're looking for a new job, Dan, if you're looking for a new job, I don't suggest this one. <laughs> That's what's his job. Anyways, people begin to return to Jerusalem. One of those people that returns back to Jerusalem is Nehemiah's brother. And his brother comes to visit him in King Artaxerxes' court. And he says to his brother, hey, how are things going in Jerusalem? How is the city? You know, I miss our home. I miss our homeland. And, and I want to go see it, but I'm working here. I can't. How is it going? And his brother says, oh, man, it's not going well. It's not, it's not going well at all. He's like, our walls are destroyed. Our walls have holes in them. They're falling apart. Anybody at any time could just walk into our city and attack us. There'd be nothing to stop it. Nehemiah feels a burden from the Lord to go back home and to begin to repair this wall. So he prays. The Lord gives him favor with the king. King and the queen send him off. He comes home. He says, before I, before I go home, I need some letters uh, from you, King Artaxerxes, because there are people, there are surrounding provinces, there are surrounding rulers that are not going to be happy that I'm coming. So I need a letter from you saying that I can come through their land and I can go home. So he writes a letter for them. He, he meets these people in chapter 3. They kind of give him a rough time, but they let him go because he's got the letter. Chapter 4 is where we're going to pick up at. And in verse 1 of chapter 4, a man named Sanballat, and he was one of the, the rulers in the surrounding region who wasn't happy that Nehemiah had come home to rebuild the wall. It says, Sanballat was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and he mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Sumerian army officers, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can build the wall in a single day just by offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? And then I love verse 3 because there's another guy named Tobiah the Ammonite. And Tobiah the Ammonite pipes up. He says, he was standing there beside him and he remarks, that stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked along the top of it. This is like, apparently, this is a big insult. He's like, whoa, that wall is so lame that even if a fox walked on it, it'd fall over. And everybody was like, no, no, he did not just say that. It was like a big insult. And everybody was like, this is crazy. Can't believe this guy just said this. And so we're going to jump down to verse 6. It says, at last the wall was completed to half its height around the entire city, for the people had worked with enthusiasm. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs, the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the work was going ahead, everybody say the work was going ahead, and that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, they were furious. They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. Verse 9 says, but, everybody say but. We prayed to our God and, everybody say and. Guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. Verse 13, we're going to jump down to. 
says, so I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the exposed areas. I stationed the people to stand guard by families armed with swords, spears, and bows. Then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the family and said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers, fight for your sons, fight for your daughters, fight for your wives, and fight for your homes. When our enemies heard that we knew of their plans and that God had frustrated them, we all returned to our work on the wall. But from then on, everybody say then on, only half my men worked while the other half stood guard with spears, shields, boats, and coats of mail. The leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall, and the laborers carried on their work with one hand supporting their load and one hand holding a weapon. All the builders had a sword belted to their side. The trumpeters stayed with me to sound the alarm. Then I explained to the nobles and the officials and all the people, the work is very spread out. We're widely separated from each other along the wall. When you hear the blast of the trumpet, rush to wherever it is sounding, then our God will fight for us. Verse 21 says, we worked early and late from sunrise to sunset. Half the men were always on guard. I also told everyone living outside the walls to stay in Jerusalem. That way, they and their servants could help with guard duty at night and work during the day. During this time, none of us, not I, nor my relatives, nor my servants, nor the guards who were with me, ever took off our clothes. We carried our weapons with us at all times, even when we went for water. Everybody say, in your hand and in your heart. All right, so we see a story here of enemies that are against the children of Israel. There is a word that has come to Nehemiah that he needs to go home and rebuild this wall. There's something that he's called to do that God has put on his heart. And as he steps out into it, as he begins to walk in obedience to the Lord, he encounters resistance. Have you ever encountered any kind of resistance when God asks you to step out and do something? <laughs> it seems like it almost always works that time, that, that way, doesn't it? I mean, if you stop and think of it, have you ever had a time in your life where God asked you to step out and do something and it was just easy breezy, man? You're like, I can't believe this is going so smooth and so great. I got no problems. I think every time the Lord calls you to step out and you obey, that something comes to try and stop you from walking in the obedience to the Lord. And that's what's happening here. And so in verse 7, it says, This guy, Sam and Tobiah, and all these surrounding armies, they heard that even though at the beginning of the chapter, when they began slamming them and trying to shame them and trying to make them feel like, don't do this, it's not going to work, you guys are dumb, you're stupid, you're not smart enough, you're not good enough, it's not going to happen, they tried to get them to stop. When they found out the children of Israel didn't stop and they went ahead with their work, the Bible says they got furious about it and they decided, that's it, we're going to sneak up and attack these guys. You know, when you step out and do what God has called you to do, the enemy is going to find a way to come into your life and to try and stop you. That's just the way it works. Because he doesn't walking, he doesn't want you walking in what God has called you to walk in. But I want to show you what their response was. Number nine, verse nine. says, 
They made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. I want to remind you of something. You know, we're, we're talking about Nehemiah right now, and this, I think, was like in 445 B.C. It's like 2,500 years ago. Historically verified. This is a historical fact. These, these, these stories are historically verified. 2,500 years ago. And you're like, what does a 2,500-year-old story, an account of somebody else's life, have to do with me? Well, here's what it has to do with you. I want to remind you of this. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, in the Amplified Translation, it says this. And you need to remember this. Be well-balanced, temperate, sober of mind. Be vigilant and cautious at all times. For that enemy of yours, the devil, roams around like a roaring lion in fierce hunger, seeking someone to seize upon and devour. You need to remember in your life that there is an enemy that is after you. And he's not chill. He's not, a, he's not a good enemy. He's not an honorable enemy. John 10.10 10 tells us that his whole purpose is to steal from you, to kill you, and destroy you. That's all he wants. I told you probably six weeks ago, we were talking about this verse. And I said that the devil is not an honorable enemy. He's not a gentleman. He's not going to give you time to put your affairs in order. He doesn't want you to figure things out before you have your fight with him. He wants to fight with you and finish you before you even thought about it. Before you even saw it coming, he wants to take you out of the game. Who loves movies in here? <laughs> Pastor Jen said, a good one. <laughs> well, I don't think anybody loves watching a junk movie. <laughs> You know, we've all seen movies about people who are being chased by somebody, haven't we? And we all know, pick whatever movie you're thinking of, they're always aware that somebody's after them. And so their whole life is governed by the fact that somebody's chasing them, that there is an enemy after them that there's somebody that's trying to destroy them, there's somebody that's trying to kill them. But for many of us in our own lives, we forget this very real spiritual truth. We get so caught up in the day-to-day -day activity of our life that we do forget at times that there is an enemy that is actively seeking to devour you. But if you lived life with the realization that there is someone, who is after you, trying to only steal from you, trying to only kill you, or trying to only destroy you, it would affect how you lived your everyday life. Would it not? If you were living in witness protection right now, and maybe somebody here is, I don't know. If you lived in witness protection, it would always be in your mind that somewhere out there, there is somebody looking for me, and I have to live my life in such a way that this person doesn't find me. But so often, we get so comfortable in our everyday life, 
in our routines and in our patterns and in our habits that we forget that the enemy is real. And he wants nothing more than to take you out of the game for good. And he's not going to be gracious about it. He's not going to be kind about it. He's going to do his dirty worst to try and take you out in as extreme of a way as possible. Well, four people believe me. That's enough for me to keep moving. We're going forward. <laughs> I got four. That's all I need. Let's keep going. So the enemy shows up and says, we don't like these guys. We don't like what they're doing. We're going to take them out. We're going to get sneaky sneak and try and attack them. But the Bible says in verse 9, let's look at the response of Nehemiah and the children of Israel. Because there's a real good thing I want you to see in here. Number one. Everybody say number one. The first thing I did, but we prayed to God. But we prayed to God. When the enemy comes to your door, the first place you need to run is to the Lord. You may be super smart. You may be some kind of science nerd, whiz, genius. I don't know how smart you are. I don't know. Maybe you can solve a Rubik's Cube in like minus seconds. Maybe you're that smart. I don't know. But I do know that there will come a day where you say, you know what, I can just work my way through this pattern. I can find a way around this problem. I can use my own skills and my own ability and my own talents, and I can outmaneuver the enemy. Maybe you can for a time, and maybe you can in some situations, but let me tell you something. There is going to come a day when you cannot outwork your way. You cannot outsmart the problem you find yourself in, and the only answer, and the only answer that you need is to run to the Lord. The first place they went was, but we prayed to our God. Some of us, we have our problems, and instead of praying, we just put the problems into motion ourselves and begin to find ways to solve this problem. I'm going to fix this problem. I know I can do this. I've got a buddy who can do that. i got a friend over there who's got a cousin, who's got a sister, who's got an uncle, who has a guy who owns a store, and I know that if I go over there, I'd have to do this and this, and I'd have to move this money from here to over here. I'd have to buy this thing and pay that thing. You know what I'm talking about? It doesn't work. But we prayed to our God. And then I love this next word. It's the word and. The word and is a conjoining word. It takes two things and puts them together. Two sentences. But we prayed to our God is a sentence. Complete on its own. But it joins it. The word and joins it to the next part of the sentence. But we prayed to our God, and they did something themselves. What did they do? They guarded the city day and night to protect themselves. We prayed, and then they were moved to action to protect themselves. Some of us just pray and leave it there. You know, many times, the way the Lord is going to work is through you. When you read through the word of God, people are required to step out in faith. Faith is trusting God when you can't see the end results. And so if you read primarily, if you read through the, through the Old Testament and you look at the children of Israel, time and time again, they pray to the Lord and then he moves them to action. And in their moving to action, in obeying the Lord, he comes through and works on their behalf. 
But many times, many believers just want to pray and then go sit on the couch and watch God work for them. They don't want to take any responsibility for it. They don't want to get their hands dirty. They don't want to go stand on the wall even. They want to they say, God, you go stand on the wall. It's too tiring. It's too hot. It's too cold. I'm so hungry. I got to go pee. I got to go pee again. I'm thirsty now. I can't stand on this wall. Why can't you stand on the wall? Many times, we just want God to do everything for us, and we just take a back seat. But God says, I want to get you involved so you can see me on the front lines working on your behalf. But we prayed to our God, and we went and stood guard on the wall. Now listen, maybe you're really spiritual. Maybe you are the ultra Christian. And you're like, you know what? I pray, and I go stand on my wall. I think what happens a lot of times is many of us do go stand on our wall and we stand for like a solid 90 seconds until something catches our attention, until something bigger comes along, until some other problem, some other addiction, some other fear, something else grabs our attention and we change our trajectory and we leave the wall behind. But I want to show you, let's look at this story again and I want to show you something because Nehemiah, and his people didn't just stand on the wall until the threat was neutralized. They continued to stand on the wall to the very end. And I want to show you this. So they stood on the wall. I want you to go to verse 16 with me. Let's, let's look at verse 15. It says, when our enemies heard that we knew of their plans and that God had frustrated them, we all went back to work. We all went back to work. But then he says this phrase, but from then on, from then on, we all went back to work. They knew that we knew what they were planning to do. The element of surprise was gone. We all knew about it. And so we all went back to work. But he says, but from that moment on, when we went back to work, they didn't just forget about the threat. They didn't leave their post. They continued to stand on guard for their nation. They continued to stand on guard for the city. Look at this. So it says in verse 16, from then on, only half my men worked while the other half stood guard with the spears, shields, boats, bows, and coats of mail. No boats. The leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall, the laborers carried on their work with one hand supporting their load and one hand holding a weapon. All the builders had a sword belted to their side. They went back to work with one eye towards the problem they were working on and they had another eye watching over here with their sword in case they had to go fight. They didn't just forget about it. They didn't just say, we're done. This problem has passed. They continued to be vigilant and stand on guard. And many times, many believers, we go and we pray, and maybe we even do stand on guard, but we allow distractions in life to come our way, and we forget what we're standing on guard for, and we leave our posts. But the Lord wants you to continue to stand on guard, to stand on guard for your family, to stand on guard for your marriages, to stand on guard for your kids, to stand on guard for your jobs, to stand on guard for our nation, to stand on guard for whatever he's called you to stand on guard for. 
We can't just forget about it and walk away. And we see here all the way until the wall is completed, these people stood on guard so much so that they were working with one hand on the wall and one hand on their sword. In a stance of anticipation. In a stance of, I know something's going to come. I know that something's going to come one day. I know something at any moment, at any moment, something could come. Have you ever had one of those moments of you're just, you're doing something, but you are expecting something else? You know, you're working somewhere, but you're expecting a phone call. You're expecting somebody to show up at your house. Maybe somebody's coming over. And so in those moments before they come over, you're running around like crazy cleaning up the house. Not, not that any of you have like a dirty house, but you know what I'm saying? And so you get this feeling inside of you, you know what I'm talking about? You're like vacuuming and somebody's like scrubbing the floor and like scrubbing all those grimy hands off the walls. You know, like, you're like, where, how, how are these handprints on the wall? Where'd this come from? And you're scrubbing it off. And the whole time inside of you is, is, this, is this anticipation, this feeling in your stomach that at any moment, those people are gonna show up and you're trying to get something done before. Do you know what I'm talking about? This is how they were working, with one hand on the wall, putting rock on rock. And listen, this wasn't a nice little fence, okay? This wasn't, this wasn't like your backyard fence. This wasn't a cedar panel fence. This wasn't even those great, awesome rock walls that you see in Ireland that are a foot tall and like, you know, two feet tall, maybe two feet wide. This, this wall was 40 feet t- high, 40 feet high. And it wasn't just one rock width high. It was like 40 feet high and eight feet wide. Yeah, wide. Yeah. And so they're, work, they're working on it. It's a lot of work. The Bible tells us it took them 52 days to do it. But the whole time they were doing it, they were working, expecting the enemy to show up at their gates. And they had their hand on their weapon for battle. So I want to bring it to today. What is your weapon? If you're standing on guard, what is the weapon that you have in your hand? What do you have in your heart? What's the word of God? Ephesians chapter 6, let's go here together. Ephesians chapter 6. We're not fighting a battle like Nehemiah fought. There's not real soldiers out there that are coming to your house to, to attack you and burn your house down and to storm your village. But Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 10, talks about the kind of war that we are fighting. And it says, A final word, Paul says, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. You have to remind yourself, he's got strategies against you. He is plotting on you. He's got plans to try and take you out. So you can stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places." This is, the, this is the fight that we're fighting. This is our war. Then he says, therefore, put on every piece of God's armor 
so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Who wants to be standing firm after the battle? I, I want to be standing firm after the battle. I don't want to die in the battle. I don't want the enemy to conquer me in the battle because that's, that's the only way you wouldn't be standing firm after the battle was if the enemy conquered you. Anybody here want to be conquered by the enemy? You want to have fear conquer you? Anxiety, depression, addiction, hopelessness, loneliness. So he begins to talk about putting on the armor of God. And the last thing he says in verse 17, put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You need to be standing on the walls of your life with the word of God in your hand and hidden in your heart. You can't afford to be alive in this day and an age not knowing what the word of God says. You can't afford to be walking around society putting on the armor of God saying, well, I'm just here to protect myself. I just got on my helmet of salvation and my shoes of peace and my breastplate of righteousness. But I'm going to leave my weapon at home because I'm a pacifist. I'm a pacifist Christian. <laughs> yeah, great. Well, when the enemy comes to your door and he brings his lies with him and he brings his torment and he brings his sickness and he brings his death and destruction, you, what are you, you going to say to him? I'm a pacifist. He's going to say, great, one more gone. Thank you for doing my job for me. Thank you for not taking the time to know what Jesus did for you, to know what Jesus says about you, and to hide it in your heart. You just made my job a whole lot easier. You've got to have his word in your hand so that when you step out on the battlefield, you've got a weapon to use. You've got to have his word hidden in your heart so you know what he thinks about you, what he says about you, what he believes about you, what he has called you for. So when the enemy brings lies to you, because that's all he has, that you can say, actually, I'm a Christian Zorro. I'm going to take this word of God. No, man, you got me wrong. You thought I was a pacifist? I'm no pacifist. I am Zorro. Zoom, zoom, zoom. I'm going to tell you what the word of God says about me. No mask needed. <laughs> For those of you who are really young, Zorro was an awesome sword fighter. If you don't know who Zorro is, are you play? I don't, I don't know what to say to you. Do you know, of course Jacob knows. Do you know who Zorro is? Does anybody here not know? <laughs> no, don't say that. <laughs> Psalm 119 says that your word I've hidden in my heart. The ESV says I've stored it up in my heart. And it gives the picture, it gives the idea of your heart your soul being a storehouse where you can put the truth of the word of God inside of you. 
so that when the enemy comes to you and he shows up at your door, instead of being weaponless, instead of being defenseless and not knowing what the word of God really says about you or what Jesus thinks about you or what Jesus did for you on the work on the cross, you have something hidden inside of you that you know, actually, that's a lie, man. I know the truth of the word of God. I know what Jesus did for me. I know that I don't have to deal with depression. I know that Jesus took anxiety. I know I don't have to be hopeless. I don't know. I don't have to be sick. I don't have to deal with addiction. I don't have to deal with any of these things because of the work of Jesus on the cross. There's freedom. So we stand on guard. Stand on our walls. Stand up with me. We stand on our walls. The walls of your life. The things that you have to rebuild. And you stand on those walls. Watching. Waiting. But you stand there. With the word of God. In your hand. And hid it in your heart. If you, if you don't have a Bible. You need to get a Bible. Because until you begin to open this word of God, you are not going to know what Jesus says about you. I want to tell you something. They did a study. I want to read this to you. They did a study on people. 40,000 people between the ages of 8 and 80 years old. And they wanted to know what happens in somebody's life if they take the time to read the Word of God. It's a fair question, isn't it? Something I'm interested in knowing the answer to. They found this. If somebody opens their Bible one time a week, no change. No change. And that could be one time, like right here at church, when I say, let's open your Bibles and go to Nehemiah chapter 4. We're going to read this together. That could be your one time. They found that if people open their Bibles two times a week, nothing changed. Three times a week, they found there was a slight change, like a faint heartbeat. But they found if people will open the Word of God four times a week, suddenly it explodes and makes a massive change in their life. Now here's the thing. You can't get to the number four without going through one, two, and three. I want to read this to you because I want you to know the power that is available in the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 talks about how the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. And so when people would open their Bible four times a week, and listen, this isn't like, I read a chapter, I get a gold star on my chart. This is, I read a verse out of the Bible and it spoke to me and I meditated and I thought on it. I read two chapters today just, just because I wanted to know what God said about this. It is the intention of reading the word with sincerity behind it. Not with diligence or I have to do this. They found when people, over 40,000 people, okay, as far as studies go, this is a big study. It's a big group to work with. 
they found people that read their Bible four times and more a week. You ever felt lonely in your life? Me and Ella have felt lonely? Okay, Jacob too. We should start a club. That's a sad club. People who dealt with loneliness. That number dropped by 30% as you began to read the Word of God four times or more. Anybody here deal with any kind of anger issues in their life? <laughs> for real, only like seven of you deal with anger in your life. Can we just be real for a few minutes? We're in church. We're talking about the transformational power of the Word of God. They found the people that had anger issues in their life, when they read the Bible, when they just cracked it open and read it four times a week, that number dropped by 32%. You want to be less angry in life? Read the Word of God. You want to be less lonely? Read the Word of God. That's not it. Hang on. It keeps going. Anybody here ever been bitterness? Bitterness with a spouse? Nobody wants to put their hand up for that. <laughs> bitterness with your kids? Bitterness with your job? When they read the Bible four times or more a week, that number dropped by 40%. It's almost like they grabbed hold of the scripture in the Lord's Prayer where Jesus said, if you want to be forgiven of your sins, then you better forgive other people because if you don't, I can't forgive you. And somebody said, oh, whoa, mama. If I want to be forgiven my sins, I better let go of this bitterness so the Lord can forgive me of mine. Alcoholism. Man, we are living in a day and age where alcoholism is on the rise. And not just in the world, in the church. Because we're all getting free. We're not controlled by, oh, well, we, we, the Bible doesn't say you can't get, you can't drink. It just says you can't get drunk. That's true. That's what the Bible says. But sometimes some of us don't have the self-control, but we can't stop. And so it's on the rise. People who read their Bible four times a week or more, listen to this, 57% change from reading the Word of God. Here's one, sex outside of marriage. Sex outside of marriage. That's either what we call fornication or adultery. It falls into two categories. Imagine this, people who read their Bible four times a week or more, Four times a week or more, almost 70% change. Ever felt spiritually stagnant? Like your life is just not, it's not growing. You feel like oh, I'm in a stagnant pond. Yeah. 60% change as you begin to read the Word of God. Pornography. Yep, I said the P word, pornography. Listen, years ago, and I mean years ago, the stat on that was eight out of 10 dudes dealt with pornography. And it's still the same, except now women are almost as high as men. Let's just be real. That number drops by 61% as you read the Word of God. People who share their faith with others, 
When you read the Word of God, you realize there's something real and alive about it. That number jumps by 200%, people sharing their faith with others. People discipling other people jumps by 230% because there's something real and alive happening inside. This book is not just a book. This isn't, uh, you know, Star Wars. This isn't Mark Twain. It's not, you know, Tarzan. This is a book about Jesus. And when you open this book and you have it in your hand and you hide it in your heart, it will change your life. I don't know about you. I don't want to live a life unchanged. I don't want to live a life stuck in my anger, in my loneliness, in my frustration, in my addictions, in whatever you can list off. I don't want to stay there. I want to open this book and have it change and transform my life. I want you to close your eyes with me for a moment. I want to pray for everybody who wants to be prayed for. I want to pray for those that as I've been speaking this morning, you're saying to yourself, you're saying this, I, w- I want to read my Bible more, but man, I just find it so boring. I just can't get into the Word of God. I don't know how to read it. And honestly, if, if I'm just being honest, I don't want to read it because it's just so boring. But I believe that God wants to change that today. And I'm going to pray for us that God puts a fresh hunger on the inside of us, a desire on the inside of us to read His Word, that we are so changed and transformed that we never have those feelings again. And so if you're here today and you say, I know that I need to read my Bible more, but I just don't have the hunger for it, and you say, preacher, would you pray for me? I want you to slip up your hand, and we're going to pray together. Yeah, I don't, this isn't something to be ashamed about. Essentially, you're either saying one of two things. No, I'm good. I read my Bible all the time and I love it. Or I have no interest in reading the Bible more. And that's okay. I'll pray for you anyways. So put those hands up high so I can see them. I want a, I want a fresh hunger. I want to read the Word of God. I want to want to read the Word of God. Father, you see these hearts here right now. And I ask that by your spirit in the name of Jesus, you put a hunger, a fresh hunger on the inside of us right now that cannot be quenched, that cannot be satisfied. Father, we thank you that when we read your word, it is alive and active and it's sharper than two-edged sword and it divides between our soul and our spirit. Father, showing us what's inside of ourselves. Father, I ask you right now in the name of Jesus that you're putting that hunger inside of us to grow closer to you, to desire to read your word in a new way, in a fresh way, that those lies of it being boring, those lies of I don't understand it, we remove those in the name of Jesus because that's just a trick and a lie of the enemy. And Father, I thank you right now that you are filling us with fresh desire and a fresh hunger to read your word like we have never had before and father as we dive into your word I thank you I thank you Jesus that those words are jumping off the page and coming alive on the inside of us and affecting change in us in new ways Jesus we are so thankful for you and your word that always brings revelation, life, and understanding. 
In the mighty name of Jesus, we all said, amen. You want to sing a song? Let's sing this together. Open my 